God is moving. Because of that, I'm going to share with you today, uh, probably today and next week, uh, something that's very, very important. I feel like it's, it's vital for us to understand right now, especially during this season. Uh, I believe that when, uh, in fact, in the scripture, I find where the Lord said he was going to put his name on Jerusalem. And uh, ultimately, uh, in, in the coming, uh, uh, in, in the near future, the Bible tells us that ultimately the Antichrist is going to reign there and ultimately Satan will try to put his name there. Anything God says, I'm going to bless, I'm going to put my name there, I'm going to call these people out, I want them to be my people, I'm going to take them to this chosen land, and on and on and on. When God does that, Satan tries to hinder that. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's not you, it's just the devil. Amen. Now tell him it's not me, it's just the devil. In fact, now turn to him and tell him I am the devil. Sometimes it's not the devil, sometimes it's me, sometimes it's you. How, how many know sometimes it's not the devil? So we're, we're aware of that. But I do know that once God starts, when God is blessing and God is moving, I think it's very important to understand that we need to fight the good fight of faith. So, somebody say amen. On and on and on. And that fight never stops. It doesn't end. I want to be faithful in warring in the spirit. Somebody say amen. We war not against flesh and blood. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against spiritual wickedness, principalities, rulers of the darkness. And so let's fight on, church. Amen. So aware of that, aware that, and it, you know, I was mentioning it, my wife mentioned it, we were talking about it. It, it, it doesn't matter what time of the year we decide we're going to uh, choose to, to uh, have a spiritual push for revival, it never, uh, it, it never ceases to, to happen. Uh, every time we get ready to go into a season of revival, the enemy begins to attack. I've seen it happen, and it's happening even now. So with that in mind, this is why I come to this pulpit today with uh, what I'm going to share with you. It's found in Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now let me say before we get into it, it would do you good uh, to bring your, your Bible or digital device, whatever you have your Bible on. It'd be very good for you also to have a way for you to write down a few things, whether you can type that fast on your phone, and some of these young folks can do that, uh, some way to remember what you're going to hear every time you come to church. Uh, and since this is a class, this is the adult class, and I would not... Uh, I would not advise you to do this in the main service because that's more inspirational and, uh, and is a little geared for a little different uh, approach. But I would say in this arena, if you wanted to drag your laptop in here and sit down and open it up and take notes, as long as you're taking notes, I don't want you playing games. In fact, we might just, since we're going to secure the, the premises, we might as well secure... Uh, <laughs> The he's uh, playing games. Robbie's playing Darth Vader. <laughs> Shut her down, Rob. Anyway, <laughs> she's sucking mud. 
chapter, uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Teach us to pray. I think prayer is vitally, vitally important. In fact, I believe prayer is a key to breaking dominions in this community. I believe that. So we're going to continually, from time to time, retrench uh, how we war and how we battle. We battle in prayer. We war in prayer. Somebody say amen. Now I've got a disclaimer to read today. Philippians chapter 3 verse 14, verse 12 is my disclaimer. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. This one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind, you need to forget. You need to be forgetful. Forgetting those things... Well, forgetting those things which are behind. We can't do anything about the past. You will never apprehend. You will never apprehend if you cannot forget those things that are behind. Because in forgetting, I reach forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I should be a champion of prayer. I should be a champion of prayer. I am not a champion of prayer, but I should be. I remember being raised as a young man, a young boy, uh, listening to my mother pray every night outside my bedroom door on the couch. I re- as long now, I, I remember as a little boy, remember her praying certain things. I won't sh- uh, repeat that again. Some of you may not know, but. My mother would pray some pretty concerning prayers. She would pray, Lord, if my son is not going to serve you, I want you to take him tonight. And, uh, buddy, that was some scary praying. Uh, Of course, I was in the other room praying, God, don't listen to my mother. She's lost her mind. Uh, I should be a champion of prayer. Uh, I was raised in a praying church. I skipped school And the only place I knew to go when I didn't want to go to school, I went to the church. That's only two places that, you know, that that was what our life centered around was the church. That's the way I was raised. I wasn't the preacher then. My mom wasn't the preacher. My dad wasn't the pastor. Our church, our lives revolved around church. And so when I, you know, senior in high school and I had cooking and home ec and typing and all those easy credits... I thought, you know, I'm not going to school today, so I'd skip school and go to the church, and the safest place I knew to go was up in the balcony, and I'd lay down in those pews up in the balcony, and about 9 o'clock, I'd hear my pastor's wife come in and start praying, and she'd pray for hours. I was raised in a praying church. I've seen prayers answered. I've seen prayer bring me through some of the darkest nights. Now, what I want to be, I'm not what I want to be, but... I would say, like Virginia Slim, I've come a long way, baby. How many feel like I'm not what I want to be, but I've come a long way? How many, how many thank God for what God's done in your life? You may not, you may, you know, we all could think, well, I need to, yeah, I need to pray a little more, but I should be a champion. I, my disclaimer is, I'm Philippians 3, like Paul said, 
There's, I'm, I've not apprehended it yet. I, I'm trying to be forgetful of the past and I'm reaching forward to things before. But, but I do know uh, prayer is a valuable thing and it's powerful. Alfred uh, Lloyd Tennyson made this quote, more things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. What that really means is I strongly in my personal life, I strongly suspect that if we could see the difference even the tiniest of our prayers make, If we could see the difference even the smallest prayer makes, I want you to hear me tonight, uh, today, and all the people that those little prayers are destined to affect and all the consequences of those prayers that's going to go on for centuries if the Lord tarries, we would be so paralyzed at the power of praying and prayer that we would be unable to get up off our knees. We'd say... If we could see the power of prayer, I think we'd say, you know, I'm not going to worry about a bunch of other things. I'm going to pray before I do everything else. The Bible tells us that the prayers of God's people are like incense that are stored up in heaven. The Bible also tells us in Revelation that before the coming of the Lord, there's going to be an angel that grabs a censer and put coals from off the altar on it, in it. And when that angel gets those coals from off that altar of sacrifice, the Bible tells us that the incense of prayers, those prayers of the saints are going to be thrown into that fire. And that incense is going to be a sweet smelling savor. That really means there's going to be an answer. That really means those prayers are going to do their job. There's going to be a point in time where God, every prayer you prayed, is going to, uh, is going to rise before the Lord and it's going to affect heaven. I believe praying is important. Somebody say amen. Now, a little background on Luke chapter 11 verse 1. And a certain, he was in a certain place and he prayed. And when he was done praying, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And if I'm correct, and I look at the sequence of events here, uh, leading up to Luke chapter 11. I will, uh, uh, I, I, I think I got it right, but I, I may not be got it perfectly right. But the, the leading up to Luke chapter 11, there was some traumatic events that led up to this. His disciples had joyously returned from a revival crusade. They had healed the sick, they had preached the gospel. And a time of rejoicing with the Lord had been followed uh, by uh, the Bible tells us they told the Lord all they had done. Everybody say all they had done. Now listen, this is before Luke chapter 11. They healed the sick, they cast out devils, they preached the gospel, and they came and told the Lord all they had done. Now a few chapters later, they say to Jesus, teach us to pray. Do you catch that? They told the Lord everything they had done. They did not say when they came back from that revival, we prayed. They came back and said, we cast out devils. We saw blind eyes open, but they didn't say they prayed. And the Bible specifically says they told the Lord all they had done. So it is possible to see the miraculous without having a prayer life. But it's dangerous. So they told the Lord all they'd done. The Bible says he took them away. After they told him all they'd done, he took them away privately into a desert place to rejoice and rest. That's a little R&R. Everybody needs a little R&R. But the crowd discovered where these disciples and Jesus had 
gone away privately and they followed them. So it'd be, wouldn't it be crazy if the whole church figured out where your, your, uh, your vacation was and they showed up? Yeah, I know. All the you know people say, "Well, we're going here for a few, for a week or two, and and we all say, you know, we don't tell you, we just follow." Well, that's what happened with Jesus. Five thousand men, not counting women and children, found out where they were and showed up. Now that's busting up your party. That's busting up your vacation. And the disciples, in that moment, got to participate in a great miracle of the feeding of the multitudes. They were on a roll, victory, revival, bread multiplying. After that, Jesus opened their understanding to who he was. He took Peter, James, and John to the mountaintop. They saw him transfigured. They've got miracles, signs, and wonders, revelation, and vision. Why didn't Philip and Nathaniel go up to the mountain? Why didn't Matthew and Thomas go to the mountaintop? Perhaps they were staying with the crowd. Maybe there were things to do. Maybe there was exciting other things exciting to do. But now they suffered the humiliation of defeat because Jesus, the Bible tells us that these disciples, a man brings his demonic son to them and asks them to cast out a devil and it didn't happen. The Bible says this man told Jesus, I took my son to your disciples and they could not. Everybody say they could not. All the victories of yesterday were forgotten in the ensuing embarrassment. I can only imagine the sense of failure, the looks of chagrin when the master returns and finds out uh, the real uh, fact of the matter is, Lord, I besought your disciples and they could not. These are your people and they could not. I don't want that to ever be said about God's people. Somebody say amen. And then for them to see the demon cast out literally with one word from Jesus, they could hardly wait for the crowd to dissipate because they knew they had, that he had something they didn't have. And they, when the crowd left, they said, Lord, we're, I'm sure they were guilty, ashamed. I'm sure they felt like, you know, we've done some great things for you, God. Why couldn't we do this? And when all the crowd had dissipated, they finally asked him, And they said, Lord, why could we not cast him out? And the answer is direct. It's not sugar-coated. It's not varnished. There's no holes barred. He said, since you ask, I'm going to tell you. This kind can come forth not but by prayer and fasting. There's some spiritual battles you'll not win just because you know Jesus. There are some spiritual battles you will not win just because you go to church. There are some spiritual battles that you need to pray and fast to win. Somebody say amen. Somebody say amen. And uh, he was, uh, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 9, let's, let's look here. He was alone praying and his disciples were with him. Luke chapter 9 verse 18. And it came to pass as he was alone praying. Everybody say alone praying. Stand up there. Yeah, it came to pass while he was alone praying. His disciples were with him. Do you see that? His disciples were with him, but it says he was alone praying. He was alone praying. Disciples with him, evidently not praying. Jesus is praying. And since Jesus is praying, the rest of us can do whatever we do. I wonder if that enters our mind in a church setting. Well, 
the pastor prays, the assistant prays, the directors prays, a lot of folks praying. I'll just go to work and do my thing, plow my corn. And, and uh, you know, when I need prayer, I know who to call. No, Jesus was alone praying. Do you catch that? Now, this is not Luke chapter 11. This is not them saying, teach us to pray. This is before that. All this stuff they've encountered, even a man with a devil that they couldn't cast out. And Jesus is still alone praying. He's told them this doesn't happen unless you pray. And he's still alone praying. If I say alone pray. And then eight days later, when going to the mountaintop to pray, they didn't join him. Only Peter, James, and John went along. Uh, and they went to sleep while he prayed. Wow. The dilemma was then as it is now. How do you pray when there's so much to do, when you're tired? How many's tired? How many's busy? We're all busy. Distractions abound. The crowds are pressing around. There's a lot of things to do. They had seen the master rise up early, the Bible says. They'd seen the master pray all night and even leave some important things undone just to pray. That's what they'd seen. Luke chapter 5 verse 15, let's look at this. But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Notice, his fame got greater and greater, and when that happened, he withdrew to pray. A lot of times when fame starts going around, we think it's time to print business cards. Now that may be for the preacher's session in a licensed seminar or something, but the Bible tells us that when Jesus' fame began to spread and people began to flock to him, he withdrew to pray. He knew that if you're going to enter spiritual battle for the souls of people, you're going to have to ratchet up the communion with God by yourself. You need to go to the wilderness and pray. Somebody say amen. I was, I'm reminded, I don't have it in my notes, and I may not finish completely today and just take it up next week. Everybody say, I want to learn to pray. This is very important. I, 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 uh, I heard Gene Chiswick, he was the former coach of the Auburn Tigers. Now, we've got a few SEC fans in here. Brother Mahaney's an Arkansas Razorback fan. I'm an LSU Tiger fan. Um, L, our, the initials for Louisiana or L.A., which they claim is lower Arkansas. Uh, <laughs> but we're not claimed, well, the, the Arkansas, Colorado, Oklahoma, all that, Kansas, all that was the Louisiana purchase. What people don't realize is Louisiana, <laughs> get to the Mississippi River, the rest of that's Louisiana. <laughs> that's the truth of the matter. Look it up. I mean, while I'm preaching, you can look it up. I'll, I'll let you study Louisiana while I'm preaching. Oh, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Gene Chiswick. I don't know where that, how that all got in there. Gene Chiswick was the great coach, uh, national champion coach of the Auburn Tigers. He coached a young man who went on to, NFL, to the NFL quarterback. And um, I forget his name. I can see him. What was his name? Auburn. Do you remember, you remember that quarterback for Auburn that won the national championship? Hyde's paid college player. That's, yeah, yeah. he got paid while he was in college. I can't remember his name. Cam Newton. Thank you, Brother Kyle. The soccer player pulled it up. Sister Newton, Fig Newton. 
Cam Newton. Cam Newton, uh, Gene Chiswick uh, had a meeting with Cam Newton. I heard it on a sports talk show uh, one day, and he's, uh, they, they uh, were talking about him coaching this great quarterback. And uh, Gene Chiswick told Cam Newton before he was drafted, he said, now I want to tell you what you need to do. He said, as you, as you uh, uh, go into the NFL and your circle gets wider, the circle of people that know you gets bigger and bigger. He said, as that circle gets bigger and bigger, the circle of the people that are closest to you needs to get smaller and smaller. And he said, Cam Newton didn't realize what he was really saying. And he said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, uh, what's going to happen is the circle that's getting bigger and bigger is going to claim, are they going to claim knowing you for who you are? And that circle's going to get bigger and bigger. Who you are. You're an NFL quarterback one of the greatest quarterbacks ever played college football, that circle's going to get bigger and bigger. But the circle of the people that know what you are gets smaller and smaller. He says, keep that small circle close to you and around you because that's uh, the people that's going to help you to be a success in the future. This is exactly what... Je- There's a lot of folks that will come around when your fame spreads, but, but Jesus went alone into the wilderness and prayed. Uh, there's a lot of people that are going to celebrate the victories, but prayer is the thing that makes sure the victory is sustained. Somebody say amen. Now, uh, they still had a lot to learn. Jesus withdrew himself and prayed. They still had a, a lot to pray. And, and it was then in Hebrew, I'm sorry, in Luke chapter 11, that the cry comes forth. If they'll put it up there, uh, Luke 11, 1, I want you to notice something. Lord, uh, came to pass while he was praying in a certain place. Uh, uh, the disciple came and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, I want you to know in our minds the important word in that verse is pray, right? Uh, I, want, I want us to read what that certain disciple said to the Lord. Lord, teach us to pray. Let's say it together. Lord, teach us to pray. Notice as it rolls off your lips, we almost emphasize uh, the most important word in that scripture as pray. Lord, Teach us to pray. We almost skip the other words because we feel like the important one is pray. But notice what they are asking the Lord. They are asking the Lord. They did not ask how to pray. They are asking, Lord, teach us to pray. Did you catch that? So the emphasis is not on pray. Lord, teach us to pray, because we, in our minds, we start thinking, well, that means they wanted to know how to pray. But he didn't say, Lord, show me how to pray. He said, teach me to pray. To do it. Teach me to pray. I think that's what we need. We don't need teaching on how to. We need teaching on to. To pray. They're not asking a a seminar on how to. You see, prayer does not come naturally to a believer. This disciple realized that I would rather sleep than pray. And he asked the Lord, Lord, I need you to show me to pray. I need you to encourage me to pray. I need you to teach me to pray. Because you cannot pray successfully or effectively just because you have a desire to pray. I say amen. Just because I haven't, we, we think it should be so that, that if we have a desire to pray, we just, uh, but think about it. Doesn't nature teach you some things? 
You know what nature teaches me? That if you're going to learn to pop a wheelie on a bicycle, you better be wearing your helmet. I don't know, how many can pop a wheelie on a bicycle? Come on. When you popped your first wheelie, did you just, you know, all of a sudden, it was just wheelie, wheelie or die? It's just like, uh, pull it up, and man, I got it, I'm going around, I'm going down the street, turning the corner. No, you know, you probably popped it a little too far, and you jumped off the back and ran, jumped back on it, and then you were a little apprehensive. You know, there was something in your brain that was trying to figure out balance. And eventually you got it and you could be up on that back tire and you could ride down the neighborhood and spin the wheel and wave at your friends. Do I, how many remember riding your bicycle without any hands? Hands-free bicycle. You know, texting. But boy, I wish we had phones back then. We could have rode our bicycles and texting and all that. You don't, you know, you do that for, you know, training wheels and the list goes on. And nature itself teaches you that if you're going to do something, you're going to have to work at it. You're gonna have to, you're gonna have to do, you, you can't, you have to patiently explain to kids, I know you made a mess of the brownies, but you'll learn to cook. You have to, prayer is a skill to be learned and developed. This disciple said, teach us to pray. To pray. Prayer is not learned solely by example. Somebody say amen. If that were so, the apostles would have been experts. If prayer is learned by example, then the disciples would have been experts because they had the greatest prayer in their midst. For had they had the greatest example. He prayed all night. He rose up early. But notice, they didn't, know, they, they, they didn't pray. They slept. They, they were concerned about other things. On the night he was betrayed, they were all sleeping. While he's praying earnestly, teach us to pray. I say amen. Now you say, well, I, you know, let, let's look at this. If you want to know what Jesus taught them uh, concerning prayer, he, he gave them lesson after lesson. Okay, so, so prayer is something that we're going to have to, it, it doesn't come by nature. We're going to have to, just like cooking, riding a wheelie, uh, playing the piano, you name it. You, you got you to start it. And you got to study how to do it, and you got to keep on doing it. Come on, I need some saints of God here. We are fighting for the souls of men and women in this community. I need some saints of God that'll say, you know what, I've been praying a long time, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a little more proficient with it. I'm gonna do a little more practicing. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, that's pretty carnal. You shouldn't practice praying. Oh, really? Well, let's look in the scripture. Jesus began to teach his disciples concerning prayer in Luke 18. He, he taught them that, that prayer was connected with humility. Humility. In fact, I don't believe a man will pray until he's humbled enough to pray. You don't need God. You got it figured out. So if pride's got a hold of your heart, you don't see any need for prayer. But a man will really pray when he doesn't have any answers. A man will really pray when he says, Lord, I don't know which way to turn. Have you ever prayed those prayers? Has there ever been a point in your life when you didn't know what to do? Let me ask you right now, what was going on during that time? I would, I'm not a betting man, but if I was a betting man, I'd say your prayer life probably ratcheted up a little bit. Because all of a sudden there's something urgent. And Jesus in Luke 18, he said, 
You need to pray with humility. I'm not going to take time to read all. Well, and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves. In themselves. Look, you won't pray if you're trusting in yourself. And they that were righteous and despised others. He says, this is, I'm going to tell this story because there's some of you that trust in yourself. Here's the story. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a publican or a sinner. And the Pharisee stood and prayed this, this way with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like everybody else. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even this publican over this sinner. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I possess. And the Lord said, and the sinner standing over there in the corner would not even lift so much his eyes up to heaven because of his guilt. He smote his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Lord said, I'll tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. You see, coming to God is not about how good you are and how bad other people are. It's about recognizing I need the Lord and I need him bad. There's nobody better than anybody else in here today. We all need Jesus. Hey, and if we're not careful, that attitude right there, I want to tell you something. You, you, as, a past, as the pastor of this church, uh, when I preach a sermon, I'm going to open uh, the altar for people to respond. And I won't tell you why. Because I think there are people there that want to that wanna get a hold of God. Not there. And if we're not careful, this attitude demonstrates itself in an altar service. And I'm going to tell you how. Because when the preacher says, all right, if you want God or you need to talk to the Lord or the Lord spoke to you today, come on, let's talk to God. And instantly we start thinking, well, I wonder who here needs that. And if we're not careful, we start thinking, well, I don't need that. You know what you're saying? Oh, I pay tithes. I come to church. I'm not. That's exactly what you're saying. You may not be verbally saying it. You are saying, God, I'm glad I'm not like other people. I don't have to go up there today. I'm just waiting on them to dismiss. Uh Uh-oh. God, give me an attitude of humility. Because being humble in spirit says, Lord, I need you today. (laughs) I need your... You don't know what tomorrow holds. You, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten a phone call between Monday and Saturday from somebody that was in church on Sunday and they say, oh, pray, Pastor, this has happened. And I, know, I, re, I remember, I remember them being like a statue in the service. They had no idea what was fixing to happen that week. That's why every service is important. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, so I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to seek God today. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. Come on, pray today. He taught to pray with humility. Everybody say humility. Something else he taught, he taught to pray with persistence. He didn't say pray once or twice and then if it doesn't work, then go on and do something else. Listen to what he said. Luke chapter 18, 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end. To this end. He spoke a story to them with this moral that men ought always to pray. Don't stop praying. I'm going to tell you a story, he said, that will hopefully keep you praying. He said, you ought not stop praying. 
saying there was a city, there was in a city a judge which feared not God nor regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not uh, for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God nor regard man, yet because this widow, widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continually coming she wear me out, she weary me. And the Lord said, look verse 6, The Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. Now Jesus is not an unjust judge. But he said, I want you to hear what that unjust man says. He said, I'm telling you this story so that you would always pray. Keep knocking on the door. Keep believing. Keep going to the altar. Keep going to the prayer room. Keep holding up your family in prayer. Keep praying for the ministry of the church. Keep praying for Celebrate Recovery. Keep praying for those that are being baptized. Keep praying for the addict and those in jail and those in the nursing home. Keep praying. Come on, clap your hands under the Lord. Don't stop. Don't stop. He also taught, not only pray with humility, pray persistently. He also prayed, said pray without ceasing. Wow. Luke 18, going on a few verses later. Verse 7, shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night. Anybody had those moments in your life? You cry day and night. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. God's going to answer. He said, keep on praying. Don't stop. He also taught we need to pray because of necessity. It's necessary to pray. Mark 14, 38. Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. He said, it's necessary for you to pray so that you not enter into temptation. Somebody say amen. I think it's important to get up and say, Lord, keep me today. God, guard me today. Be a wall of fire about me today. Lesson after lesson, he taught them how to pray. Listen, listen. he taught them how to pray. If you want to know how to pray, it's in the Bible. He taught them pray fervently. That means, a fervent means hot. That means heated. Pray in faith, nothing, nothing wavering. He said, ye shall find me when ye shall search for me with what? With all your heart. He taught them when to pray. When do you pray? Matthew 6.33 Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added. When do you pray? You pray first. You pray first. And then He taught them where to pray. Everybody say where to pray. Well I can pray anywhere. No, the Lord told you where to pray. He said my house shall be called a house of prayer. This is a place you can pray. In fact, if we sing today and we preach today and we speak announcements and we shake people's hands and we meet a new friend today, are all these things necessary? Well, not necessary, but they're important coming to church and fellowshipping with one another. But if we don't pray today, that's what this house is for. For prayer. Somebody say amen. He also said, if you want to know where to pray, first of all, my house is a house of prayer. Matthew 6, 6 says this. 
But thou, when thou, thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. He said, go to church and pray. And then he said, also have a personal closet. If I only pray in church, I'm missing things. If I only pray in God's house, I'm missing things. Because in Matthew 6, he said, have you a closet of prayer? He also taught them what to pray. He taught us in that parable of the publican standing in church. He prayed, God be merciful to me, a sinner. He taught us to pray, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. He taught us to pray, deliver us from evil. He taught us to pray, Lord, send forth laborers into the harvest. He taught us to pray, give us today our daily bread. He taught us to pray, thy will be done, O Lord. The Bible's full of lessons about prayer. Keep on praying. Practice it. And yet the disciples still had not learned. They were failing miserably. I've I've gone through scriptures of what he had already shown them. and, And they were failing miserably. Can you relate? I can. I know desire is not enough. I've desired to be a prayer warrior. I know example is not enough. My mom, my pastor, the church I came from, some of you. Example is not enough. Lessons don't teach me to pray. I used to preach a revival for a man that his famous saying was, well, are we going to talk about it or are we going to do it? We'd be standing around saying, where are we going to go eat? We're going to go here to eat. We're going to go there to eat. He'd say, well, we're going to talk about it. We're going to do it. You know what? Prayer's not something we should just talk about. We should do it. Somebody say amen. So in the next little while, I'm going to close here. I'm going to mention one of these. And then next week, I'll take up the next two. Uh, The disciples learning to pray successfully like any other skill like any other skill, learning to pray like any other talent or skill. Uh, you know, today is the closing day of the Masters. Any of you got, if people play golf? The Masters is a very famous golf tournament on a famous course. It's one of the four majors, uh, major golf tournaments. If you win the Masters, you get a green jacket. You get invited back to the Masters for the rest of your life. Uh, so it's, it's a pretty big deal. $11 million purse for the winner. I want to tell you something. Those cats out there uh, hitting that ball, uh, they, they didn't go out last week and buy a set of clubs at Walmart. They didn't go, you know, oh, there's, you know, they, they stand there at the golf shop and there's a bunch of balls and there's a dozen balls for $50, $60 and there's some more, here's some balls for $30-something and, and there's a bag of multicolored ones over here that are scarred up and they go, how much are these? And they go, those are two bucks a bag and you go, oh, forget, man, those are 60 bucks, I can get these for $2. Yeah, people that don't know golf, they're, they're oh, these are $2 and they take them and they go pound them to death and they're like hitting acorns or rocks. But anyway, that, that's not them. They got, they take, there are, listen, if one of those men would break his club while playing the, the tournament, he cannot finish the round. They can't go make him another club. And If you break a club, you can't use that club. 
If by, by the end of the round, you can't use the, that club. If you smack it on a tree and break the head off of it, you just lost that club. You got to finish the round without it. But but after the round's over, you can act, they actually have people there that'll make them the club exact if they damage it. They're waiting for them to damage a club so they can make it. Now they some of them go through an entire tournament and never damage a club. Those people are sitting waiting with with shafts and heads and grips so they can make that one person a club. This stuff didn't start yesterday. Tiger Woods started hitting golf balls when he was in diapers. If you are going to pray, you don't just wake up one day and become a prayer warrior. You just got to say, I'm going to the prayer room. I'm going to give this my best effort. I'm going to get to the driving room. Oh my goodness. I want to tell you there's a reason why Mac Todd took Nick Mahaney fishing and it was the same water. They were fishing over the same log. They had the same pole. And they had the same lure. There's a reason why Mac Todd was pulling the fish out. And Nick Mahaney was begging for one. There's a reason. There is a reason for that. Now part of that reason was Sister Mahaney wouldn't quit calling him. His phone kept blowing up. He kept, hello, hello. And he's doing, you know, he's trying to fit, you know. You got to concentrate if you're going to pull in one after another. I know some of you don't understand that, but you will if you, well. Sister Donna, we made bread for Christmas at our place. Some of that bread didn't turn out. You know why? Because we didn't follow the recipe. You don't just go in there and throw stuff around. Well, this will be bread before it's over with. No, everything you do in life, you learn as a skill and praying successfully like any other skill involves some prerequisites. Number one, number one, desire. Just desire. You know, Brother Todd, when you learned to pop that wheelie on that motorcycle, you know why you learned to do it? Because you had a desire to do it. You wanted to do it. You wanted to. Uh, Golf is frustrating. If you want to be a good golfer, you're going to have to have the desire to do it. You can't just wake up. If you want to be a good carpenter, you're going to have to have the desire to do it. If you want to be a good sheet rocker, you're going to have to have the desire. Nobody ever becomes good or a master in anything unless they desire to do it. You don't win a black belt by going to karate because your mom made you. You, you, you don't make Eagle Scout because somebody forced you to go to Scouts. You, you have to somewhere say, I want this. You didn't get married because somebody said everybody's supposed to get married. You saw somebody and you said, that's the one I want to marry. Everything in life you attain, you desire for it. Now, oh God, that you would wake up some desire in these people to pray. Oh, come on, clap your hands unto to pray. Not how to pray, but to pray. To pray. So the disciples finally did learn. Listen, they kept saying, Lord, teach us to, teach us to, teach us to, teach us to pray. And on the night he was betrayed, they were fast asleep. But man, their sleep was suddenly disturbed. And all of a sudden, their world was rocked. Just like yours. 
sleeping through prayer meeting, oh, that's not important. But all of a sudden, the soldiers are in the garden. And you're waking up out of a stupor and you don't even know what's going on. Your head's spinning. The doctor gives you a report and all of a sudden you're in a daze. You just awakened and you feel like you got to do something. And sometimes it's pull a sword and hurt somebody. But most of the time it's running in 50 directions. And they took off from that garden running in every direction. That's exactly what life will do to you. These are prayerless men in the crucial hour of Jesus' life. Lord, teach us to pray. Man, their world got rocked. But I want to tell you what, after Calvary, after His resurrection, and Jesus spending 40 days with them, the Bible tells us they got in an upper room in the book of Acts. And we, we preach it in Acts chapter 2, but we jump right past those words. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, you need to understand what that means. That was 10 days after Jesus' ascension when He left this world. And He told them, go to Jerusalem and wait and tarry there. Listen, these same fellows that were sleeping through the prayer meeting a month earlier, now they're in an upper room. And they're not going home to change their clothes. And they're not going out to, to the restaurant and take a few hours off no they stayed in that upper room for 10 days and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and is it any wonder that suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind I want to tell you something, church. Life will get us uh, desensitized to the power of praying. But I want to tell you the church that gets a hold of it, the people that get a hold of it and say, Lord, I may not even know how to, but I'm going to pray. Ten days they were praying. We find them after that. The Bible says they were continually in prayer. The scripture says that the disciples prayed without ceasing. Oh, they learned the lesson well. Teach us to pray. Teach me to pray, Lord. Lord, don't don't teach us how to pray, when to pray, where to pray, what to pray. Only Because that stuff's in the Bible. But Lord, first of all, and most of all, teach me to pray. To pray. (laughs) Now we're going to go a little further. We're going to talk about desire. Everybody say desire. We're going to talk about study. Everybody say study. Study. Study prayer. Study prayer. The Lord has a lot to say about prayer. We ought to study it. Everybody okay? And then third, we're going to get to it next week. We'll do these three. Everybody say practice. Practice. My, I'll close with this. My, we got some great neighbors. We got some neighbors moving out. We got great neighbors moving out. We got great neighbors still there. And hopefully we're going to have some great neighbors move in. But I got some great neighbors just to the south of me, Chris and Lorraine. They got a little boy named Gavin. Gavin's come to our daycare and Good friends, Gavin's a good baseball player. And, uh, you know, when the weather starts warming up, uh, back behind our houses, uh, there's, a, there's an open spot, and, and they've, they've built a pitcher's mound. And uh, uh, Chris has actually built it up where it's the exact height of a pitcher's mound. And, 
and there's a home plate and there's a backstop and I can't tell you how many days I'll go outside and I'll see Gavin stand on that pitcher's mound throwing that baseball over and over and over and over. Practicing. Practicing. One of those golfers in the Masters Tournament mentioned last night in an interview, he said, I hit a thousand balls a day. A thousand balls a day. Anybody, any man that strives for mastery is tempered. He doesn't go where other people go. He may not be able to do what other people do because he's practicing to become proficient at something. We need to practice praying. If you say, well, I'm not good at praying, you know what? You may not be good at baseball either, but if you practice enough, I mean, think about it. I, I can't play basketball, but if you practice enough, you could probably make a shot or two. I can't fish. I don't know how to catch fish, but you know if you practice a little bit. I can't ride a wheelie if you practice a little bit. You know what? If you practice praying, you'll get better at it. Is everybody okay? So we're going to talk about that next week. Everybody say amen. Let's stand together and let's, let's practice.